it's another edition of Why Are You Into? With, uh, I believe today, it features Corby himself. That's and true. I think, if I understand this correctly, we're going to find out why you are in to the Grateful Dead. So this is a an ongoing series, obviously, that uh, we concocted not too terribly long ago. And it will focus on things that we're into. I'm kind of interested to hear a bunch of y'all on this program as far as what you're into. Ty and wrestling and things like that. Um, why we got into this initially, and we heard Danny talk about why he was into metal music growing up in Knox City and how he got into it. And it did make a lot of sense after he explained it, and it was very informative. Um, and that's kind of what I want because I do have many questions concerning all of our hobbies and one of the things that I'm into, now this is not like the sole music that I'm into, but from a relatively early age, um, starting at about 18, I got really into the Grateful Dead. And probably a lot of people are like, that's pot, it's all pot, it's you and pot. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> um, so, just like a lot of things musically, now at the time... I was, you know, I was way into music um, starting at probably about the age of 10 and, and you know, was a massive consumer of it. I knew that, like, when I was 15 and I saw the, the Woodstock documentary that I, w I needed to go see live music and my parents wouldn't let me at that age. And finally, when I was old enough to go see bands and things like that, I couldn't get enough of it. Your parents never took you to a concert as my, a young as a youngin. My parents weren't into music. So my parents were that age where... You know, I'm born in 69, and my mom and dad had me pretty late for yeah. that time, like 34, 35, which at that time was really late. So your dad never went and saw, like, Waylon Jennings or anything like that? He might have. But he, um, he had no interest in dragging your dumb ass along? No, no, no. And they th th that's the thing, is the music that they were into, my my, dad, my mom wasn't into music at all. She played guitar, but she wasn't strange. into, like, yeah, I know, but she wasn't into popular Did music. Did she have, like, the Eddie Van Halen model with the stripes and everything? <laughs> Yeah, could she play Eruption? Yeah, yeah she was great. What's uh, that, Mom? I ain't talking about love. <laughs> <laughs> she would sit around and play acoustic and things like that, and she went to one concert, and I've told you this before. Her one concert was in college at OU, and she saw Elvis. <laughs> okay. And that was it. That's pretty much, you can just drop the mic and, and, yeah. le and leave the industry yeah. at that point. She's one for one. Outside of, like, seeing Bill Gaither and things like that at the 4th of July outdoor hoo-ha or whatever, or going and seeing... Christian rock bands at Ranger after Ranger games. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that was kind of it for her. Uh, but you, so they didn't know they didn't they weren't big supporters of it, you know, and, and the, the, they were too old. You know, by the time the Beatles rolled around, they were like 30. And that was way too old. So different now. You didn't get into that stuff at 30. You thumbed your nose at people that were 20 back then that were may have been getting into that. So they never were real encouraging, and I've tried as, as, I try to do, you know, as a parent, you try to do, if you think that you were shorted some way as a kid, you try to do the opposite with your own kids. Correct. And mm -hmm. so I, I pushed music, not push, but like expose them, yeah, to, to um, all different types of uh, rock and roll. Well, anyway, I'm way into it, and by the time I get around to college, you know, I was way into to R.E.M. and the Smiths and... Big Audio Dynamite, you know, just the, the the Cure and bands like that from the 80s. And, um, you know, had seen you 2 and, and I met a couple of friends when I was in college that were really into the Grateful Dead. And I'm like, what? What's that? 
And I mean, it. Um, I I knew to me it was the I knew their symbol. Yeah, I knew the steal your face skeleton with the lightning symbol. bolt down the head. That's all yeah. I knew though, and it seemed like and that it maybe was maybe that you knew the the dancing bears. Yeah. But that was really it. That the, the Grateful Dead, they Which were not. Which, if you have either one of those decals on your car, you might as just well say, "Hey, <laughs> pull cops, me over." I have weed, <laughs> right? But it was more of a like Midwestern thing. The Dead was always a Midwestern thing, a West Coast thing, and a Midwest thing. Like you know, Chicago, Wisconsin. That the, they, they were huge up there, West Coast. They were big. They were big everywhere, but they really played well up in in those areas. And so, a couple of my friends are from up there. They come down and they're like, man, you know, I think you'd really like this. Well, at the time I was starting to get into um, like widespread panic came around in like 90, 91. And that was another kind of jam band. And I got into them and then my buddies are like, you would really like the dead. And by this time, I'd seen a couple of uh, documentaries on them. I think they'd been on Letterman and I'd seen them, you know, and, mm-hmm. and but then I was like, man, these guys are so old. And they were like 42 Sure. Or something like that. Which like all, all those bands were that age at that time, though. You know, the Stones, uh, you know, Zeppelin, all these guys were about 40 right about that time. Well, for us, that might as well be that, that, that was 100. And, and there was no template. There was no, there was no way to look at rock and roll as something that was going to last as long as it did. That these bands are still playing 30 years later. This, for me, it was, that was somebody else's band. Now, I love the Stones, but outside of that, it was always, these. that's the other generation's band. And Bob, you seem to have that kind of thing going where you weren't really into the older bands as much as you were right. bands that were of our generation. Yeah, and, and it, it probably similarly has to do with people I met in college that just exposed me to stuff I didn't know a whole lot about. But man, I still... Like my entire life, I have avoided, and and not by design. I just it's never crossed my path. Just a whole lot of Grateful Dead stuff to a point where, as of today, I stand here not knowing really the first thing about them aside from the sticker. Like I definitely had college friends who had the sticker on their skateboard or something like that, and that's all I know. Well, I'll tell you this: I was taken to a show. The first show I ever went to was in Kansas City. I was twenty years old. And we drove up there to Kansas City, and I knew, seriously, I knew trucking, because mm-hmm. that was played on the radio. You probably knew that, whatever, I will get by. Yeah, because that was kind of a radio a radio. That was a hit. huge MTV that's, hit when we were kids. Yes, that's the one I know, because that made Touch of popular gray. radio. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I probably knew three or four songs going into this first show. And when we drove up there and went out and everyone's like, we got to get there like four hours early. You're like, why? Yeah, I'm like, what? I don't understand. They're like, you'll get it. And you go out there and four hours before the concert and the parking lot is packed. And it's literally a circus. And it is hippies at the time. Again, a lot of these people were 40. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at them going, what are they doing? Long, These are like my parents' age. Yeah, yeah, and it just seems so weird, but they were having so much fun. And then once we got into the show, four hours later, you're like, "Why am I? Oh yeah, there's a concert that's playing." I mean, you're out there drinking beer, and you know, you see like uh, uh, you see people in pickup trucks pull up with these big tanks, 
and their big nitrous tanks. You know, the big balloons. I've yeah, heard Dan yes. talk about this before. Good Lord. The big laughy balloons where people are sucking down on them and you pay a dollar for it. A guy walks up and opens up his, his raincoat and doesn't flash you. But he's like, uh, I remember this like it was yesterday. And he's like, Randy's Drugstore. What y'all need? You know, and it's like a 40-year-old dude that's got... All a, of it? Yeah. I'm just staring at him going, oh, my God. Like, it's such a culture shock. All of it is. But you go into the show, and I knew, again, like three songs... Well, you're sucked in by a couple of things. You're sucked in by the fact that each and every one of those people that are in there watching that show know every note to every song. They know every word to every song. They know when to cheer loud. They know when to get quiet. It's like it was some sort of synchronized swimming event where I was the one left out not knowing what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I had a blast. And I love the music. And then I'm like, I got to dive into this. And the song that I heard live that really got me into it, if you can pull this up, Mino, was this song. And the thing is, um, yeah. They write, Bob, incredible, just jangly pop songs. When I saw this place bouncing up and down at the Sandstone Amphitheater, I was like, I want in. I want to be on the inside of this. What year? 90. Okay. 90 or 91. This is Scarlet Begonias. And so I come... Uh, No, not at the time. Not at the time, but it didn't take long, I bet. I was very, yeah, I was like, that's another thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to grow my hair out really long. Uh, the two songs. Were those two things related? Uh, no, they weren't. Probably more okay. point break related than that. <laughs> uh, but the two songs that really got me, one was Scarlet Begonias, and the other one was was Box of Rain, which I know is a I love favorite of, of yours. Yeah. The whole American Beauty record's fantastic. Yeah, it's Again, it's it just, sounds to me like the Flying Burrito Brothers. Yeah, dude, it's just simple country rock and roll. Look out of any window, any morning, any evening, any day. Maybe the sun is shining, birds are waking, no rain is falling from a heavy sky. So, I got heavy, heavy into wanting to know people. Sounds like California to me. Right? Doesn't it? It does sound like California. Well, that's it. That's West Coast. Uh, But I found myself gravitating toward people that were into this band, that knew a lot about the band. I had a million questions. There was no internet back then. You're just kind of relying on word of mouth and friends of what to buy and which CDs were the best and which live albums were the best. And that's the other thing about this band is that you go to a show, Bob, and I'd never seen this before, and right in the middle by where the soundboard is, which is where the sound is supposed to be its very best, you would see about 
a hundred people standing there with microphones that are about 25 feet tall, pointing right at the stage. They were recording the show. The band allowed this. They They encouraged encouraged it. it. This was how tapes were passed around. And so you would start getting, if you were into the band, you would start meeting people like, yeah, bro, here's my box of tapes. And you would get shows from 1968. You want to exchange boots, bro? Pretty much. Yeah, man. And yeah. It, and then it was, you get into the tape scene, and it's like, what do you got? Oh, and then there's like the holy grail of these live shows that they have. Wow. And, yeah. Okay, because that, because, you know, uh, across the music scene, the 90s was the bootleg scene. Like, everybody wanted everybody's live shows. Yes. I, I definitely know, like, U2 and R.E.M. back then, like, there were hundreds of them, but they were always a some sound tech released this one, you know, and it, you always had the feeling the band was really pissed about it. Yeah, and they weren't. Even if they weren't. They, they, and some were. I think some, you know, frowned on this. Sure. Like, there was an episode of the of, uh, of What's Happening about, about this, about illegally recording. Well, they encouraged this because... They knew that it got their music out there to the people. Sure. And that's what they wanted. It's free promotion. It's almost forward thinking. I know. It, it really is. And they became this. They became their own cottage industry. They started to be run like a Fortune 500 company. The Grateful Dead did um, after a couple of missteps on, in business. But they became the model live act. And really, to this day, thanks to the band and Bill Graham, who was you know heavy in promoting them, mm-hmm. they are still... The standard bear for live music and live concerts, and still, even with half of their guys not even in the band anymore, are one of the biggest uh, revenue gainers in live music every year. Still, to this day, with John Mayer fronting them, I will say this: and you are a very well-rounded. I would, I don't want to say jam band aficionado, but Grateful Dead fan, where it is, it is a compartmentalized part of your life, but. There are people that are fans of this this band where not only is it a big part of their life, it is their almost life. their life. Where you can't have a conversation with somebody that this band is their their everything without it being about that band. Makes and they insane. wear the they wear the stuff every day. Yeah. It's it's they're just consumed by it, and I have a real hard time when I see that guy coming and I know him, because you can spot him a mile away. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go over here now. I wanted no part of that. Yeah. But I wanted no part of that from the Springsteen community. I yes. I wanted no agreed. part of that from the Pearl Jam community. I didn't want any part of that from the Dockin community. Yeah, and the thing is is that Gross. And, it's Dockin. <laughs> not Dockin. It's Ian. Oh, not ING. And Andy it's two was really K's. into that. So but I never wanted to be pigeonholed as that guy. Yeah. Because I loved it all. I loved experiencing all of it. I'm all and, about being a nerd for stuff. But I don't want to be that guy about anything. No, not at all. And so you want to be able to weave yourself in and out of these little circles where you feel comfortable, yet I can get out of there really quickly. I'd rather suck at a lot of things than be really good at one. (laughs) Exactly. That's my whole point of life, (laughs) basically. But man, I love them. I mean, I... Unabashed super fan of them. I, I can get in a mood where it's a, a full weekend of Grateful Dead and the Grateful Dead channel and, you know, on Sirius and all that. I mean, you know, again, there's not many bands that have their own channel on that that format, and they're one of them. And it, it speaks to the rabidness of their fans and the amount of them. Anyway, there That's you go. That's awesome. It's good to know. That, that's great. 
And and I just learned John Mayer uh, fronts them now. So. Yeah, dude, and they're phenomenal with him fronting them. Great show huh. at, uh, at Starplex this past summer. Yeah. That is wild. Yep. The ticket. Get, Get ready, ready for an all-new all Hardline, Hardline segment. segment. It's time to step into the, the snake, snake Pit. pit. And now, with something completely over the top, the host and star of the Snake Pit, Snake. Yeah! Here he is. The Snake. Thank you very much. Thank you, so, man. So, over the weekend, uh, me and the little guy were scrounging on a Saturday night. We went to dinner, and um, we were like, let's watch a movie. Let's see a movie tonight. Saturday night. Yeah. Boys only. Right. Mom wasn't home. Let's rock. Which Godzilla movie did you watch? Well, that may be tonight. That may be tonight. But we go to HBO Max and we're just scrolling through and we see and we, we we'll like if we see something, we earmark it, you know, and then we'll come back to it if we can't find anything else. So we're scrolling, we're scrolling, we're scrolling, and I see couple of movies, you know, blah, blah, blah. He wanted to see a comedy, and so we found a comedy, and then then I saw Mad Max Fury Road. I'm like, I've not seen that before. Then we saw Meatballs. Ah, uh, great movie. And uh, so we decided on, you know what? Let's see Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. I know very little about Mad Max Fury Road other than I've seen the original Road Warrior, and I've seen Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and that's really it. And I don't know how familiar you guys are with those first two Mel Gibson movies. Not. At all. I mean, aware you, of them. Yeah, yeah. So, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Are you a f- expert? I'm sorry, Mel. This is supposed to be a prequel to those. And again, I remember when it came out in 2015, people were talking about it. And people were like, man, you'd really enjoy this movie. It got nominated for a ton of Academy Awards. Not just in, like, effects, but real awards. So again, it really never moved the needle for me. I thought I was out on, you know, sand, uh, people driving cars in sand fighting over gasoline and water. Sand people. Yeah, it's not Star Wars. Driving. Yeah. I'm trying to remember your full description there. Fighting over gasoline and water. Okay. Because the premise of the original Road Warrior and Mad Max, it's set in a futuristic time where the whole, that universe Everything is about acquiring gasoline. To to you have the power if you have gasoline, right? All right, and it's tricked up crazy cars and things like that, and these you know overblown muscular dudes that are uh, you know running these tribes basically in the desert fighting each other. Very dystopic. Very dystopic. A post-apocalyptic scene, if you will. And so, Barb. all right, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I'll watch it. Okay. Two hours later. As I turn the television off and I stand up and I look at my kid and I say, that is the best action movie I've ever seen in my life. What? Period. End of story. There is no question in my mind. I have just seen a freaking film masterpiece. I liked it, but I don't know if I'd put it that high. Oh my God. So much so that Monday night, when everybody went to bed, <laughs> you made I watched, another run at it. I watched it again because I was so blown away by it all. 
And I tweeted something about it, like, uh, why didn't you people tell me that uh, this was such a great movie? And then I have all these people jump up my my hiney saying, dude, it's so incredible. You need to watch this. You need to be aware of this. This is a masterpiece, and I cannot stress this enough. This is the, and I didn't even know this, George Miller is the original director of the series. So this is a movie that came out in like 1979. He came back. The Mel, the Mel Gibson one? Yes. Okay. George Miller directed this one as well. It stars Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron. Tom Hardy plays Max. Charlize Theron plays a character named Future... Furiosa. Furiosa, not Futurosa. Furiosa. Um, and yeah, it's supposed to be a prequel. So George Miller puts this... He had this idea for 20 years. So he's 76 years old. All right. Okay. And somehow convinces the studios that at that age he's still prepared to take on this. And I'm not saying 72 year olds can't direct or work or whatever, but this is such a massive project. And he also said, I know that the whole world is, is all about special effects. I know that the whole world is about uh, green screen and blue screen. I'm not doing any of that. Whatever we see, whatever we shoot is going to actually happen as much as possible. Okay. So. The dude ends up hiring, I mean, the, the amount of layers in this movie and the amount of of storytelling that is involved in an action movie, and again, for my money, the greatest action movie ever made. Ever. Uh, ever. It's unbelievable. The things that he got away with, the things that he was able to pull off, he ends up hiring Cirque de Soleil characters, not Cirque de Soroy. But Cirque du Soleil uh, characters, circus humans, to put this together to make it seem all real because it is, and Ty, you can attest to this, it's like a ballet. It is a pure ballet scene of full-on dystopian action crazy movie. There's... There are scenes in it where, you know, like the chase, the car scenes where the dudes are on top of the cars and they're gyrate i'm like and you think man that's got to be cgi but then it just then you look like no it's not cgi that's real man and this is two hours of balls to the wall it's like a long car chase yeah uh with a story interwoven in between and the story is great the story is a story of of heroism feminism um uh you know anti-government uh or the, you know there's this supreme leader that rules this world that's a horrible human being that that hoards all natural resources, that is a complete a-hole to his citizens, that deprives him of water, of food, of everything. He's this horrific figure, this giant gelatinous creature that is, uh, you know, after Tom Hardy's character and, and Charlize Theron's character. It is off the charts crazy from the jump. Full disclosure. Go ahead. I think I killed this once upon a time. You, you remember mine? You did. I it hated was either it, right? you or Dan, but I think it was you. It might have been both of you guys. You guys saw this? I think we did. And I think I think I Gregoed it. Oh, uh, did I you think, finish it? I think I guess so. I just don't get it. Did you watch it with your kids? <laughs> no. No, I think this was one of the projects of try to watch all the nominees before the Oscars happened that we tried several times. And I think I kept getting hung up on one of the vehicles 
seem to have a dude playing a guitar for no reason. You're exactly right. As they're right. chasing. You're exactly right. With the right. flames coming out of the... And I... Ugh, that... Kick ass. I just couldn't get past the fact that for... There's a random... Guy with an electric guitar who is who's pinned to the front of a vehicle with a speaker system. To make it system, more awesome? With a speaker system that... <laughs> it wasn't grooves. If it was grooves. Yeah. There's a speaker system in the front of a vehicle that rivals like an ACDC concert. Yeah. And it's like, this is the theme whenever this horrible gelatinous supreme leader goes on one of these ramp- killing rampages with his he crazy dystopian machine. He's got to have a music bed basically behind him. Live. Live. And in the I, end... I, th- I think I drew the line there. In the end, there's like a huge... Oh, here's Ham. Ham has something to say. All right. Matt Birmingham. Watch out. Now, would you like to see where he's going with this? Or would you like to predict before Ham... I have no idea what Ham thinks, but I would like to think he's in my corner. A lot of people say Corby's superlative... He is 100% correct on this. Thank you! It is the best movie ever. It's the greatest action movie I've ever seen. Yes. It is literally a movie where you're on the edge of your seat. I watched it in a dollar theater. The next day it came out on DVD, I went and bought it and watched it twice more. And that's the other thing. And you are a man who fancies yourself. Like, that's your genre. Yes. That's your thing. Don't forget Ham watched Cats like three times in a week. That was twice in two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And you're saying this is your genre. You're saying it's also your favorite movie. Yes. Is it your favorite movie, period? Period, yes. Okay. That's really good to hear. You may need to watch this again. And I think there are camps as far as liking and overselling and disliking just like any movie. Do you remember if I killed it? I think he did kill it, yeah. I think I did, too. I just found this we to be... We should review that on you. Yeah. In a world that's being fed, like where your evil government leaders are being fed by fat ladies pumping breast milk. Yes. I mean, it's like, whoa, what, what did I just see? What is this? What is going on? They throw you, and that's the other that's thing really about this happening. movie. That, yes. You're thrown in the middle of it with You no don't even know what's going on. And that's the thing. Even if you have some like sort Dunkirk. of... Dunkirk. Yes. Yeah. Even if you have some sort of concept of, of the original Mad Max, it doesn't matter... Because it is another world, it's a totally different world, and that's what George Miller tried to create, is, yes, there are connections, there's a Max, by the way, you don't even know his name is Max until like three quarters of the way into the movie, um, you don't even, I don't even understand the blood thing that's going on, I'm not even done researching to know why he's hooked up, uh, why Max is hooked up in transporting blood into the enemy, he's hooked up to the front of a car. Yeah, uh-huh. With, he's his blood boy. Yes, he's his blood boy, blood boy to like these other powerful leader dudes. Why is that? I think they're like hemophiliacs or something like that. I don't know. Dude, what the it's out is. there, and he's strung up to the front of the vehicle for half the movie before he even gets away, and you find out what a badass he is. And neither of you want to say this is one of the best movies. It, it is, is the best movie. I look. I'm limiting it to action movie. Okay. All that's right. Still, that's a. That's a really large claim, and, and right I, there. I'm not like the the biggest fan of the action genre. I mean, you're talking about The Rock. Yeah, I know. You're talking but about that, Armageddon. The difference is, the difference is, there's this. It's so beautifully so many, shot. Yes, it's so beautifully shot, and the storyline is great, and it's powerful, and it's about these women um, that you know, feminism basically, and, and and the power of these women who are trapped in this basic dungeon life with these people raping them and torturing them and things like that of them finally escaping the society and getting even with this guy dude it's i mean the hero of the movie is not max the hero it's furiosa. yeah it's furiosa who is charlie theron it's the greatest role she's ever had and she won an academy award the greatest role she's ever had yes, yes. dude 
There is no doubt. And it's- I know you mentioned the special effects, but he also, in some scenes, edited out to put you on the edge of your seat to give you anxiety as the scene is happening to kind of make you kind of feel like, why does this feel like jarring? Because that's the way he wants you to feel because that's how the characters are feeling too. Yeah. It, it's Look, it was over the top. I, I've never, ever watched a movie with such anticipation of watching it again. And instantly, within four, I'm like, go to bed. Everybody in bed. Okay. And boom. Right back at it. And I've got my AirPods on, you know, because so I don't want it cranked up to where the kids are going to wake up again, you know, with a wife. And I absolutely loved it. The last 20 minutes of the movie is like the greatest action scene in like cinema. Did you just point out your TV has the ability to link your AirPods to it, huh? Yeah. Is this the side yard TV? I might need one of these. That sounds cool. And that's maybe the next viewing is side yard, and I'm going to dress up and face mask and horns I don't think and I all have that. A flame guitar. I think yeah. I want a TV that my earbuds can. Of course you link do. To. It does. Yours does. I don't know if it does. Do you have Apple TV? Not an actual Apple TV. No, you're no, saying, no. You're if saying you have you... Apple TV. You can connect your AirPods to your TV. You can. Yes. I don't know about this. I'm yeah. telling you right now, you can. Man, I sound old. We're burying the lead, though. Maybe okay. tier one money could bring that, but yeah. It is awesome, and again, I can't like. I guess you've seen the making of it, and and, yeah. and all that. Like it's all on YouTube. Yeah, I've not seen this, and this is the next road that I'm going to go down. You mentioned it was the George Miller directed the first Mad Max two. Yeah. The villain in Morton Joe is actually the original villain from the first movie too. The, he the brought him toe back, cutter or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Thirty years later. Yeah, I read about that. Didn't know about it. I mean, this guy is such a hateable figure in this movie, such a disgusting... And He's that's got, like, th- warts, and they're throwing dirt and stuff on him. Yeah. He's got this oxygen mask on. All the bad guys are so disgusting, so gross. Uh, you know, the guy, Ty, I don't know if you know the his son, the the bad guy's son, the muscled-up dude, he was a WWE guy, I read, that uh, that George Miller, you really? know, kind of plucked out really? of nowhere. Yes. Heard that. Yeah. So a muscled-up guy was in pro wrestling, Ty. Yeah, I don't you know if you that? that. It happens. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll revisit it. Maybe, dude, maybe after Roadhouse, I'll get to this. It is, it's great, and I, again, I'm going to see it again here pretty soon. It just everything about it to me. Come over because I'll share of an because of the layers. Of they're it, the they're making a sequel, or it's going to be like a prequel to Furiosa. There's a prequel, and they also have another one with uh, Tom Hardy that's supposed to be coming out in the future called like The Wasteland. I think. Really? Yeah. <sighs> we better get to Ryan's. Yeah. That All right. one of my thank favorite snake pits ever. Hey, Danny, thank you very much. <laughs> that thank drop you. is never not going to be funny. The ticket. All right, on Netflix right now, you will find the film The Highwayman. This stars Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. In fact, it's really kind of a Woody Harrelson joint all the way around. And this has to do with the takedown of Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow in 1934. I think it's more of a Kevin Costner joint than Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson was involved in the production of it, though. Oh, you mean from a... Yeah, just just from the the standpoint of getting it up and running. All right. Yeah, Kevin Costner is definitely the 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 main character. So those two play uh, two legendary Texas Rangers. Mm-hmm. The yeah, Ruben Sierra mm-hmm. and Juan Gonzalez. Yes, the old law outfit. Now let's keep in mind 
these Texas Rangers that were portrayed by Woody and Kevin, they were in their heyday before there were automobiles. These guys were working the borders or the, the southern border mm-hmm. on horseback. Right. Before the advent of cars. They yes. weren't that old, though. You know, they, like, maybe I, for the they time. Made, well, they made Woody look older than Woody, because Woody in real life is in his 50s. Yeah. Costner is creeping up on 70. So you're talking about these guys 40 years removed. So these guys were relevant in the late 1800s when they were probably in their mid to late 20s. And these guys were out of the game, too. Oh, for a long time. Yeah, yeah, this was set in the mid-30s. This was set in 1934. And, um... They played Frank Hamer and Manny Galt, or Manny Galt, I guess is his name, mm-hmm. and they couldn't figure out a way to catch Bonnie and Clyde. And for those who don't know, Bonnie and Clyde, based right here in Dallas, from here, I've told you guys, my my dad still has pictures of my grandpa riding horses with the Barrow cran- uh, clan. Like, it's really, really weird, like how close-knit that whole scene was back yeah. then, but... uh. Bonnie and Clyde became incredibly notorious bank robbers and murderers. And because of the time, because of there was a girl involved, I think that had more to do with it than anything, they became celebrities. And not just celebrities, but super celebrities on the same plane as Babe Ruth. Yeah. They somehow acquired massive pop culture cachet at that time. And they were very, very popular among just common folks. It's almost like common folks were were pulling for them. They were. And they were murdering people left and right. I mean, this wasn't anything just little, hey, let's go rob a few banks here and there. No, no. They weren't front no games here. No. But the media then found out what the media now... In recent years, I guess media all the time, but the sensationalism and what at the time was clickbait for these true crime magazines that were, you couldn't keep them on the shelves because of these stories that people would sensationalize and write. So they were they were brought to the public to, like the, the brutality of what they did was overshadowed by their celebrity. Yeah. And they, you know, because it, there was a girl involved and, and because she was, she left a camera behind at one of their first crime scenes, mm-hmm. and whoever got a hold of the camera... It had undeveloped film in it. Yes, and it had pictures of her, her and Clyde, her holding a gun to his head, he smiling, smoking her a smoking cigar. a cigar, her with her foot up on the, the hood of, a, of their Ford. In an unladylike pose. Oh, yeah. extremely unladylike back then. Showing yes. ankle. Yeah, and just a little bitty gal, too. Both these, Bonnie and Clyde, both were tiny people. Um, yeah, I think she was estimated to weigh about 90 pounds, and him maybe 115, 120. Yeah, and they just became, and, and again, you have to remember you're you're right in the middle of the Great Depression. And the Dust Bowl, I and, mean, all of that stuff. Yes, and you know the, nobody trusted the government, nobody trusted the banks, people, that, um, people thought that the banks were protecting their money. When the, there was no insurance in the banks, when it came to your money, they took all the. There was no money left. Your money was gone. People hated banks, and so to have these people going across the country robbing banks. I mean, the, all these people that were doing it at that time, the John Dillingers of the world, it was the same thing. These people became stars mm-hmm. because they were bucking the system, yes. a system that took everyone's or a lot of people's lives right out from underneath them, and. 
But the thing is, the thing that's really weird about about this story and and this movie is that it really turned people weren't even for the police. And these people were murdering police as well. Br- brutally murdering police. Yeah. I guess that's like true. Excessively, that, excessive violence. I guess it's true that Bonnie would clean up after the cops were shot. She would go up and take a shotgun and shoot him in the face. I, I guess I think that's that, true. That happened a few times, yes. And it happened in Grapevine. There were two uh, motorcycle police officers that were killed in Grapevine that they killed, her, mm-hmm. her and her gang killed. And, and I think those were the last two that were killed before they eventually were caught. But anyway, the uh, Ma Ferguson, the, the Texas governor, played brilliantly by Kathy Bates in this movie. This is what I couldn't figure out. How did Texas ever elect a female governor in the 1930s? Probably needed something different. I mean, I when, mean, things were probably so desperate that it's like, why not? When women's suffrage was implemented in 1920-something, you had a governor that early on? Was it Ferguson, her last name? Yeah, Ma Ferguson. I don't know. I never got that far, and we never got that far in Texas history before school was out. So, you know, then the cotton gin. So she gets talked into bringing back these two old Texas Rangers, which I guess the organization had been defunct for a while. Yeah, she killed them, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, look, we got no other choice here. You guys do what you do. Use your old school methods. They had never heard of a wiretap before. I mean, these people were so far out of the game, but they knew how to track people. They knew how to track down leads. Well, they knew how to do detective work. Is yeah. what they were good. It was old school detective work because they looked at dates and uh, locations of where they were based on news stories and developed patterns of where they would circulate. Right. And and they were right. They were. Hell, yeah. one one time they had them. Yeah, they did. When they got away. Yes. It was pretty hard to do, though, because they cast a really, really wide net, man. I mean, they ranged up into Oklahoma, Missouri. Yep, Kansas. Kansas, maybe even further north north and west than that. And Louisiana, of course. Yeah, and man, the one thing that you're, there's a bunch of things you take away from this. One is a celebrity of Bonnie and Clyde. Two, though, was, man, the fact that these guys, in the, you know, the open roads that they were on and they were traveling and all that, I mean, they were, you would have a lead. But then it's like, all right, well, we got to drive 180 miles to track this lead down to in see a, if it's real. In an 85-cylinder 34 Ford. Yes. And it's like, how do you ever... You're you're two steps behind him at all times, basically. Yeah. And you almost... You had... Finally, they figured out that what we have to do is think two steps ahead. Right. We have to get ahead of them. And wait for them and hope that they show up here. Right. Because we can't keep chasing them all over the country. It's impossible. And, and infiltrate... And and disrupt their support system, which was it was vast, wide, and you know here in Dallas, I, I don't know where they shot those uh, the movie, but Dallas is a massive player in this, which makes it kind of cool, yeah. you know, and and you know the old, I, I believe that was supposed to be South Dallas. No, it was West Dallas by the the viaduct. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, yeah, all that sh- that shanty town that they were going through in the beginning. Yeah, and the guy was talking about the he thought his or Woody Harrelson's character was talking about how bad he thought his neighborhood was, which had been massively foreclosed on by the banks. He was like, "Holy crap, this is rough." So that's it's West right, Dallas. It's right across the bridge. Yeah, like directly wow. across the bridge. Where, what do they call that area over there now? West Dallas, West the Dallas. Trinity Groves, Trinity yeah. Groves, yeah. right there. In fact, they make a reference to Eagle Ford Road. Which you know today is Singleton Boulevard. Oh, That's yeah? That's it. Yeah. Well, 
they would come back all the time. They would come back to Dallas to to go home to see their parents, to see their yeah, siblings, and all of, this that. This is kind of their hub, right? And to get home, they had this support system, this group of spies, this group of of people that were willing to do anything and everything to protect them. It was unbelievable, like a, a this this cloak and dagger system of getting around their neighborhoods, getting around Dallas without this dragnet catching them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just. It was crazy, but eventually they catch him in Louisiana. They figure out that they were going to spend some time with one of their gang's fathers, and that was another hub of theirs, and they got ahead of them, and they were waiting on him, and the ambush, it's all true. It's brutal. It is crazy how bad that those people got murdered, but they deserved it. And then I think the most shocking scene is towing the car in, yeah. Bonnie, with their bodies still in the car, their yes, shot-up car. Arcadia. Through Arcadia, Louisiana, and the amount of people that found out about it that swarmed to the city, this little bitty city, and they couldn't stop them from getting in the car. And these people were so obsessed with celebrity, they were ripping at them. I mean, they were grabbing their hair. They were they were taking jewelry, uh, shards of or, or strands of clothes, strands of hair, ripping hair out from Bonnie's head. Yes. Anything they could get their hands on, they wanted a trinket, a reminder. And there's a great article in the Washington Post that I sent both of you guys, and it pretty much sums it up. They said if Instagram had been around in 1934, Bonnie and Clyde would have been more popular than the Kardashians. Yes. And I believe it. There's no doubt. And there's still there's real footage. There are, there are shots and, and video of that happening, yeah. of that, that scene, of yeah, that crazy when scene. When they're running credits, stick around for those. Dude, whoa, it's it's... It's bizarre. You know, not a great movie, but the story, I, I liked it. I enjoyed I the too. movie. I thought it was fine. Um, just from a historical perspective, I liked it a lot. Bye. All right, that is the story of the Highwaymen. Check it out.